Tonight we continue our study, Why a Baptist? Uh, in our study, we are working through what are called Baptist distinctives or truths or really uh, ideas that Baptists hold in common. If you were to say, uh, what is a Baptist? Why are you a Baptist? These are the things that would be in the discussion. These would be the things that make us distinct as Baptist followers of Jesus Christ. Well, in our study of Baptist distinctives, uh, we have worked our way or we have come to uh, the two offices of the local church. As Baptists, we believe, uh, we hold that Scripture has prescribed to us or has given to us uh, these two offices in the local New Testament church. Now, I want to say this, and only these two offices. And so the, the Bible, we believe, tells us, informs us, there are two offices in the New Testament church, and there are these two offices alone. They are the office of pastor, and they are the office of deacon. Now, see this. God is a God of infinite wisdom. We know that. We believe that. He is also, he tells us, a God of structure, a God of order. Uh, he tells us how to operate effectively and efficiently in his plan. Now listen, that's in all areas. He tells you how to be uh, great in a marriage, how to be great in your uh, personal relationships, how to, to be great in your career. All of these things, he gives us instructions as his followers. If you'll follow his plan, this is the best way to operate. Well, in his wisdom and in his grace to us, he has given us instructions in how to operate in the local New Testament church. And so we're not just trying to figure this out. We're not watching the ways of the world and seeing what they're doing. God has given us his instructions in how to operate in the local church. Well, those instructions include these two offices. Last week, we looked in detail at the office of deacon. Uh, tonight, we're going to look in detail also at the office of pastor. Now, let me start off by saying tonight, uh, this is important. Uh, this is really a big deal. Now, sometimes it's odd for me as the pastor uh, to preach on the role of the office of pastor. And that may seem like a self-serving thing or a weird thing, but I want to tell you this, uh, confusion here, confusion in understanding what a pastor is, what a pastor does, will result in disorder and dysfunction in the life of the church. And I've seen that and I believe that. If there is confusion as to what the Bible says a pastor is, what a pastor does, what the expectation is, if there's confusion on that subject, there will be disorder and there will be dysfunction in the life of the church. And so listen, this is a big deal. This is an important thing for us to understand as his church. All right, so here's the question. What is a pastor? Here's where we're going to start. What is a pastor? In the New Testament, it is the office that leads the local church under the authority and the direction and the headship of Jesus. Let me say that again. What is a pastor? In the New Testament, it is the office that leads the local church under the authority, the direction, and the headship of Jesus. Now, in the New Testament, there are actually three different words 
uh, that are used interchangeably for this office. And so you start uh, in the New Testament and you read across the New Testament, you're going to see these three different words used interchangeably when referring to this one office. Now those words are pastor, elder, or bishop. In several places, again, you'll see different variations of how those are used. Pastor, elder, and bishop. A pastor carries with it a pastoral understanding, one who would shepherd. And so you picture a pastor, you picture a shepherd. And so it has a, a shepherd connotation. The word elder means a wise leader or a mature leader. And the word bishop, uh, it translates an overseer. And so those words, with their description, uh, are given to this one office. They are interchanged describing this one office. Now understand this, those are not three different offices. There are sometimes churches that say, well, we've got this office and then we've got the office of bishop over here. We've got a different office over there. Those are not three different offices. Those are one office and all of those words refer to that singular office. So a pastor is the person who leads the local church, and each local church has a pastor. And so the pastor, who is the pastor? It is the person that leads in God's plan the local church, and each local church has a pastor um, in submission to and under the direction of Jesus. All right, that's who the pastor is. Uh, the next question, and it's a pretty big thing, so what are the qualifications of a pastor? What are the qualifications of a pastor? Now, God, again, in his wisdom, uh, has told us this is the efficient and effective way to proceed. In doing that, he has given us a very clear instruction in this. Uh, there is a descriptive listing of the qualifications of a pastor in 1 Timothy chapter 3, you can go there and you can read the listing of the description of the qualifications of a pastor. Uh, in that book, Paul is writing to Timothy. Uh, Timothy is a younger pastor, and he's telling him these are the things that you're going to need to know. Uh, not only that, there is another uh, descriptive listing in Paul's letter to Titus. Also, uh, Titus is a young pastor. He is writing to him to instruct him as well. Uh, if you look at those two lists, they are almost identical. If you go through those, they're almost identical. Uh, we're going to work through the list tonight in Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. Now, I'm going to read that set of verses, and then we're going to go back and look at what they're saying. All right, Titus chapter 1, verse 5 says this, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders. There's that word, elders, in every city as I directed you. <clears throat> All right, verse 6, namely, if any man is above reproach, the husband of one wife, having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion, for the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of sordid gain, but hospitable, 
loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching so that he will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. All right, so he writes to Titus. He is giving him the instruction. We're going to look at that piece by piece. All right, starting in verse 6, here's what we find as to the qualifications of a pastor. The first thing it says, they are to be above reproach, above reproach. Now, what that means is they are known for or they are respected for their behavior. And so surveying the course of their life, the pattern of their life as a pastor, they are known for their good or their proper behavior. They're above reproach. Second thing, the second qualification, it says, the husband of one wife. Now, we saw that last week. That's also a qualification for a deacon. Uh, it literally translates, they are a one-woman man. That means they are committed to their wife. Uh, it most literally means this, they are not found in adultery. So what does that mean? They're committed to one wife, to one woman, and they're not found in adultery. Uh, I, I want to say this, from this and other writings of Paul, uh, Baptists believe that the pastor of, of the local church is to be a man. Now, again, there are several verses that we would get that from, but if you're going to be the husband of a wife, of one wife, or a one-woman man, you're going to be a man. And so Baptists traditionally believe the pastor of the local church is a man. We believe that is God's order for the administration of the church. Uh, just like the male is the head of the home, and there's an order there, uh, not, not higher in rank, not, not some way that uh, puts down the female. It's the same way in God's plan, in God's structure for the church. All right, second, the next thing it says, having children who believe, uh, not accused of rebellion. Now, what that means is uh, the pastor has taught their home uh, to know Jesus and to follow Jesus. And it, it, is, it is shown here that how they have led in their home shows up in their kids. Now, I want to I say this. Uh, there used to be a lot of jokes about pastor's kids. Uh, does that mean your kids are not going to sin? Do they have some standard? Oh, they got this standard. They, if they mess up, um, is that what it means? It's not what it means. They're going to sin. They're going to mess up. But what it means is that they haven't turned on their faith seeing the hypocrisy perhaps of their pastor dad, they haven't rejected their faith and walked away from their faith living in rebellion to the truth of the word of God. So are they going to sin? Yes. Are they going to mess up just like everybody? But it means they haven't rebelled against the truth of God's word. That is a requirement. How they have led their home uh, actually matters. It says they must be above reproach for their stewardship. Now, this is another thing, but what that means is this. It means they are known by that church for their careful stewardship of that church. Now, the first time it says above reproach, it's talking about their behavior out in the world, their behavior out in the community. This is talking about how they are known for their stewardship of the church. Now, listen to this. 
This is God's church. This church is. Uh, Jesus is the head of this church. The pastor, however, has a stewardship over this church. Uh, he is to watch out for this church, to care for this church. Uh, he is a steward for the master. The master is Jesus. Well, uh, in, this, in, this, in this phrasing here, it means that the church knows our pastor is for the church, and our pastor serves the church and cares for the church. And when it comes to the condition of the church, our pastor is, is greatly concerned with that. He has a well-known stewardship for the church. Part of that says not self-willed. That means it's not about them. They're not self-serving. They're not self-seeking. They're not self-promoting. Uh, it is about the church. They consider the church, they serve the church, and they sacrifice for the church. And so they're not self-willed. The description gets very specific. It says, not quick-tempered. That means they're not given to rage. They're not given to anger. And so the pastor of the church, they're not going to fly off the handle. That's not going to be their knee-jerk response, not given to rage. Not addicted to wine. That's the next one. Now that explains itself. The pastor's not to be addicted to wine. Here's the next one. Not pugnacious. Interesting word. We're not going to use that very much uh, there are some people that are pugnacious, but this guy's not to be pugnacious. Here's what that means. Given to fighting, and looking for a fight, looking for a conflict. Uh, there, there are people that I know, and I don't know why, uh, but, but they seem to gravitate to a fight. And, and you know what? I, I've figured out I want less trouble and I want less conflict. Uh, I don't need any more fights. But, but this person is not to be looking for a fight. What did they say? What was the tone of their voice? I don't know if I like that. And they're looking for a conflict. That's what it means. Next one, not fond of sordid gain. Very simply, let me break that down. It's not about the money for them. They're not doing it for the money. They're not looking for money. Now, they don't walk around with their hand out. The bottom line, uh, it is not about the money. They're not looking for sordid gain. Those are, those are some of the things, but then it says they're not those things, but they are these things. They are hospitable. Here's what hospitable means. The glad service of others. Not just the service of others, but the happy service of others. You know what? They're glad to serve other people. That's what it says. Loving what is good means loves goodness loves righteousness. Uh, it shows up that they're not, they're not trying to get as close to sin as they can. Uh, they've had all they want of sin, that they love the goodness of the things of God. They love righteousness. They love what is good. Here's another one. Sensible. Uh, that means they're able to think, reason, consider. They are thoughtful in what they do. They've got a stewardship for the church. They've got a mission given to them, uh, prescribed by Christ. And so they're not just over here. And they're not just over there. And they're not just saying, well, this seems like a good thing to do. They are able to reason, to think, to consider. They're thoughtful. Next thing, they are just. That means they will do the right thing. Uh, they will seek the right thing. And they're fair in the administration of it. They're fair. 
and they're going to do the right thing. They want to know what the right thing is. And if you, if you wonder what they're going to do, they're going to try to do the right thing. Here's another one I think is very important. They are devout. They are devout. I, I want to make that as plain and easy to understand as I can. It means this. A devout person, they are committed to Christ. And then I'll just say, what does that look like? It means they're walking with Christ. You know what? They love God's word and they love the word of Christ and they spend time in prayer and they want to be on the mission of Christ. And if you were to get close to them, you would say, you know what? Their life is walking with Christ. Uh, there's no hypocrisy there. Wouldn't it be a shame to have a, a pastor who says these things and these things and these things, but then in some other context, they pull away from that and do something altogether different. The pastor is to be walking with Christ. They are to be committed to Christ. Uh, the next thing, they are to be self-controlled. That means careful in what they do, self-controlled. Next thing is this, and this is a big one, holding fast the faithful word. Holding fast the faithful word. Now what that means is, it's a, it's a pretty heavy meaning, it means they are anchored to the Word of God. They are in the Word of God. They believe the Word of God. They live the Word of God. And so they uphold the Word of God. They are a people of the Bible. They're not looking for some other influence. They're not trying to mix with the things of the world. These are people who are anchored to the very Word of God. The word holding fast it means clinging to it. With their fingernails dug in, they are clinging to the word of God. Now what that means is they're not swayed by the world. They're not convinced by the world that we might ought to, we might ought to set part of this down. What if, what if the world doesn't like part of this? What if it would be more popular to just look over part of this, to compromise on some of it, to adapt it? Happens all the time. no. They are clinging, holding on to the word of God. All right, that's the, that's the listing in Titus. Uh, the letter to Timothy actually adds two more things to that list. It says they are not a new convert. That means that they have been saved for some time. They have been walking with Christ for some time. Let me tell you this, it matters. Our walk with Christ is just that. It is a walk. Well, what is a walk made up of? Of steps. We take this step, and we take this step. We might mess up and stall out for a little bit. We get back in gear, and we take this step. And so the Christian life is a walk. It is a series of steps. Well, to be a pastor means that you have been walking with Christ for some duration. I said this with deacons. I think the same thing holds uh, for pastors, sometimes somebody uh, gets saved, puts their faith in Christ, they're excited about their walk with Christ, and the church sees that, and I think a lot of times the church may be so dead that when they see somebody walking with Christ, we go, that guy must be a pastor. He's been here seven straight weeks in a row, and he's been carrying his Bible. I think that guy must be a pastor. They, ha they have to have a walk and be walking with Christ. The last one that's added uh, in Timothy is this, able to teach, able to teach. 
get this, this is a supernatural giftedness enablement given by God to explain and proclaim the word of God in a way, listen, that it can be understood, that it can be grasped, and that it can be practiced and applied. And so this is a giftedness given by God that when they're preaching the Bible, when they're teaching the Bible, you can say, hey, I understand that. Hey, that makes sense to me. Hey, I need to repent of some things. Hey, I want to walk with Christ and look like that and apply these truths. It says they are able to teach. Here's what that translates. They can do it. They can do it. Let me say to that, it's going to sound pretty hard, but I'll stand by it. Let me say to that, and if they cannot, they are not God's called pastor. Man, they may have a good heart, man, they may have a good intention, but if they cannot explain the word of God, if they do not have that giftedness, they are not God's called pastor. Let me give you the reasoning behind that. If he calls you to do it, then he enables you to do it. That's what it's saying. They're able to teach. God has gifted them with the ability to supernaturally teach. Well, if God has supernaturally given you the ability to teach, you can do it. What, what if he gives you that gift and you can't do it? He didn't give you that gift. You can do it. If you can't, guess what? This office is not yours. Let me tell you what that looks like. Today, People, many of them, steal sermons. I think we, get, we, we have stuff online all anymore. Everybody's got a sermon they're online. They go watch those sermons. They repeat those sermons. They, they, they steal those sermons. They plagiarize sermons. Uh, man, I can tell you some of the big dogs, they're just stealing each other's sermons, plagiarizing each other's sermons. They buy sermons. I didn't know that was a thing until uh, I came to Calvary. I was riding with some guys and they were talking about where they're getting their sermons. And I thought, well, I thought maybe out of the Bible's where we get these. Uh, they, were, they were buying these sermons. Uh, it has grown since then. It is common. Let me tell you the reason for that. The reason they steal sermons, plagiarize sermons, and buy sermons is because they're not God-called pastors, period. God didn't gift them to teach. They're not able. And so, you know what? We got to go steal somebody's stuff who can? Let me tell you a story. I got, we got some time. We don't have to be home till 9 o'clock. There was a guy. I won't tell you his name. He is, maybe unfortunately, a pastor. He started a sermon series. And I, I got home one day and I saw this uh, advertisement for the sermon series. It was a six-week series. It had a logo that went with it. So not just a cool sermon series. It's got a logo that goes with it. It's got a slideshow that goes with it every week. Wow, look at these slides. They match the sermon. Uh, they, it, it had bulletin inserts from the sermon series. You take that, you slip in your bulletin. Man, this church is on the ball. Had bulletin inserts. I started looking at that, and I thought, well, that's kind of weird. Uh, that's kind of not what this guy's been doing. Now, that doesn't match what he's done in the past. And so I just thought, well, I wonder what I can find out about that. So I looked it up uh, on our friend Google. Here's what I found. This is a true story. For $119, 
You can get the sermon. You can get the notes. You can get the jokes. You can get the bulletin inserts. You can get the slides. And let me tell you this. And it came with a free T-shirt. It actually came with a free T-shirt. had the title of the sermon series on the shirt. Next week, he started that sermon series. I got done here. I wanted to see what that was going to be about. I went home, and I looked it up, and I turned it on. And the goofball guy was actually wearing the free T-shirt that he got. True story, he was actually wearing the T-shirt. He might hear this tonight, I don't know. Here's why that happens. He's not gifted to preach the word of God, and so he cheats and he lies and he steals and he tries to fake like he is a God-called pastor. That's kind of tough, isn't it? All right, so those are the qualifications. God gives those to us. Those are the qualifications. So the next part of this is this. So what does he do? What is the role of pastor for the local church? Well, let me, let me help you in this. You want to know what the pastor does? Picture a shepherd, pastoral, a pastor. Picture a shepherd. And that's really a pretty good indication of what the pastor does. A pastor cares for the sheep. A pastor protects the sheep, feeds the sheep, leads the sheep. You know what? We're out of grass over here. We're going to go over here. You know what? It's getting cold over here. We better go on this side of the mountain. Leads the sheep, watches over the sheep. Now, that can look like a whole lot of different things, but understand this. Predominantly, the way the pastor serves the sheep, serves the church, the way the pastor protects the sheep, the way he equips the sheep, the way he cares for the sheep, listen very carefully, it is through the faithful preaching and upholding and teaching of the word of God. The way you're protected is by knowing the word of God. The way you're cared for is by hearing the word of God. The way you're built up and equipped for life in this sorry world is by hearing the word of God. The way you're drawn closer to Christ and, and empowered in your walk with Christ is by hearing the word of God. The predominant way that the shepherd cares for the sheep is the faithful preaching and teaching of the word of God. The pastor of the church, don't miss this. He is a minister of the word of God. He upholds the doctrine of the New Testament. He protects and preaches the word of God. Here's what's happened in our world. Today we, we think we, we, we need a new pastor. Uh, maybe the other guy's moved on. Maybe we ran him off. I don't know. Uh, but we, we want a new pastor and so we decide, well, what is it we would like in a pastor? Uh, churches take surveys. They actually uh, ask the folks, what would you like in a pastor? Uh, a new thing is to actually survey the community. What would you like in a pastor? Who cares what they like? They're not a part of this church. We take surveys. And here's what we come up with. You know what our church needs this time? We need a great administrator. Well, things are kind of tough. Bills are tight. We need somebody that can crank this thing down. We need a good administrator. We want a people person, one who does all of these things. I wish somebody did this more and did that more and did this thing more, and, and we need a person like that. We need a person who will take up and serve the programs that we want. Here's what I like to see, and here's what my kids want to see, and so we need a person that will come and put in the programs that we want. No, listen to me. 
the pastor led by God is to uphold and to teach and to preach the word of God. You know what you know what you need in a pastor? You need a minister of the word of God. Everything else will flow out of that. You have a preacher, a pastor that preaches the word of God, everything else will flow out of that. Now let me say to that, there's a couple things that are tied to that. And he does it as if working for Christ. He does it under the supervision of Christ. In 1 Peter, it talks about the chief shepherd. It talks about the chief shepherd serving and rewarding the under-shepherd, the pastor. And so understand, the pastor works under the supervision of the chief shepherd, Jesus. Well, can he just do what he wants? No, he's under the leadership of Jesus. Is he, is he have a supervisor? Yes, his supervisor is Jesus. The second thing we need to see, and it's tied closely to that, and he does it as one who will give an account and an answer. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17 tells us that. The pastor is one who will give an account, will give an answer. I want you to be very clear of something. The pastor, according to Scripture, Hebrews chapter 13, will give an answer to Jesus himself for how he stewarded the church that he led. Now, can you imagine that? What that means is there will be a day that I will answer to Jesus for the years that I was the pastor of the Calvary Baptist Church. He is one who will give an account to Jesus himself for the stewardship of the church that God has entrusted. What that means is this. The church is a big deal in the plan of Jesus. It's not something that we might tiptoe around. We Well, I'll go and I'll participate when I can. The church is a big deal in the plan of Jesus, and so the leadership of the church is a big deal to Jesus. Who leads the church, how he leads the church, is supervised by the chief shepherd, Jesus himself. Okay, so those are the qualifications, and those are the things that the pastor does. Now, we're going to go on. And so uh, the next thing is this, how is the church to respond to the pastor? How is the church to relate to the pastor? Now, uh, I, I have three things for that as well. How does the church relate to the pastor that God has given to the church? First thing is this, and it's, it's from Scripture. They are to submit to them. They are to follow them as God's leader. Let me show you the verse. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Listen, I didn't say this. Obey your leaders. And submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. If this is how God directs his church, if this is how God leads his church is through this office of pastor, then the membership of the church is to follow the pastor. Let me tell you when you got a problem. You got a problem when God has directed the pastor, and you got 20 other people say, well, you know what? I want to do it like this. And in 1982, we did it like that. And my meemaw, she likes it like that. And I don't like this anyway. And I want to do it like that. And you have all these folks saying, we're not going to submit. We're not going to follow. 
We're going to do what we want to do. Here's how you relate to the pastor. You follow the leadership that God has graciously given you in the church. All right? Let me say this. Can the pastor be wrong? Yes. Our pastor's wrong. Yes. But you know who's going to give an answer to Christ? He is. So you know what? I don't, I don't have to come behind and, and go in his office and say, let me tell you the 10 things you're doing wrong. He's going to answer to Christ. If he's walking with Christ, he'll, he'll be sensitive to that. Uh, so what does the membership do? They follow the leadership that God has placed in the church. Second thing, how does the church relate to a pastor? They are to encourage them. They are to bless them in the effort. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17 goes on and it says, let them do this with joy and not grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. Here's what that's saying. The church ought to be aware that a defeated pastor is not any good for the church, that a discouraged pastor, a brow-beaten pastor is not any good for the church. That is bad for them. Let them do it with joy. You know what the church ought to do? Encourage the leadership. Praise the Lord for a leader that God has given us. Praise the Lord for a direction, for a path that he's given. Let them do it in joy. Third thing, first, submit to the leadership. Second, encourage them. And here's the third one. It's a different thing. It's kind of the same, but it's different. And that is to honor the leadership, the pastor of the church. The church is actually commanded to honor their pastor. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17 says this. The elders, that's one of those three words. The pastor, the elders who rule well are to be considered Worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. Listen to that again. 1 Timothy 5, 17, not my words. The elders who rule well are to be considered, deemed, worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. I saw a poll one time. I always thought it was kind of funny. There, there was a poll a survey that was taken, and I think it was at some time in the 1950s and 1960s. Somebody took this poll, and they went around to a whole bunch of towns, a whole bunch of cities, and they asked the people, rank the most respected people in your town. Make us a listing of the most respected people in your town. I think it was the end of the 50s, maybe early 1960s, and the pastor of the town in those surveys was always in the top three. And so, you know what, we, that guy, we, we respect him. Uh, we, we value what he's doing in our community. And so one of the top three most respected people in the town in the late 50s uh, was the pastor. That same survey was done some 50 years later, and the pastor's not even the top 20. He's a thief. He's a liar. He's a troublemaker. You should have seen. I won't tell you some of the jobs above him. You might have those jobs. There's a whole lot of jobs that ranked above the pastor for somebody being respected. Now listen, we're to honor our pastor. I can say this. Listen very carefully. I can say this. My life has been blessed. It has been built up. It has been strengthened by former pastors. It was good for me in my walk with Jesus Christ. All right. I want to visit one last thing 
because increasingly it is a thing. Uh, <laughs> I, I could skip over this. We'd be fine if I did. But I think we better address it because it's becoming a thing. And so I'm going to address one last thing because increasingly it is a thing. And that is the question of how we govern our church. And how we govern our church is the church pastor-led, which is singular, a single pastor leads our church, or is a church elder-led, which is a group of elders or a board of elders who lead the church. Now, let me say this. This is quickly changing in the Baptist world. This is very quickly changing in Baptist life. As of the last 20 years, 10 years, five years, many churches are changing to an elder system. They are going to an elder system in the governance of their church. Now, understand, the Baptist church is autonomous. We've talked about that. Each church decides for itself. And so nobody can come and say, this is what you're going to do. Each local church, they pray, they read the Bible, they consider, they think, and they decide. And so they get to decide on this issue. Until recently, the predominant way that a Baptist church has governed itself is in a pastor-led system. Jesus is the great shepherd, the pastor is the under-shepherd, and traditionally, Baptist churches have been pastor-led. Recently, that is changing in rapid order. Uh, Baptist churches all around us are becoming elder-led. Now, what that means is an elder, they elect uh, a group of elders who then lead the pastoral direction of the church. And so uh, it's, it's like a board, maybe an elder board, something like that. They go, they nominate, uh, they vote in a group of elders, and then those elders set the pastoral leadership of the church. I want to talk about that for just a second. I believe the main reason this is changing is because today there is an influx of other ideas coming from thought that is outside of traditional Baptist thought. I'm going to be very specific. That is coming from the Presbyterian system. That is coming from the congregational system. That is coming with Reformed or Calvinistic theology. That's why that's coming into the Baptist church. I believe that is why it is spreading. I believe that is why it is taking hold. Let me tell you this. Personally, I believe the New Testament, go and I believe you look at it, shows us a pastor-led system. And I believe it is singular. In the Bible, many times it says pastors. And it is plural when it says that. I've had that pointed out to me several times. Well, pastors, uh, that word is plural. But I want to encourage you, go and look at the instances when pastors, when that word is plural, it is because churches also is plural. There are many or several pastors because there are many or several churches. Uh, one of the verses they like to talk about is the church in Ephesus. Appoint elders in Ephesus. Well, uh, historians tell us at that point, uh, there were over 30, at least 30, churches 
in Ephesus. And so if you're going to appoint pastors, it's going to be for a plurality of churches. Uh, so, so I believe it is singular. Uh, I believe it says, that's why it says that in Hebrews, as to one who will give an account. That's what it says, as to one who will give account. Then, let me tell you this, I believe the greatest evidence, and we saw it recently in our study of the book of Revelation, I believe this is the greatest evidence for a singular pastor leading under the headship of Jesus Christ. Remember when we started the book of Revelation, there are seven letters to seven churches given to what did it say? Seven pastors. It said seven stars, seven angels in the hand of Christ. I always thought that was funny. It did say, and to the elder board of the church in Smyrna. It never said that. It said, and to the angel, to the pastor of the church in Smyrna. So I believe it is singular. However, let me go one step further. If they have decided on elders to lead the church, if that's a church's decision, if their elder system is going to be plural, because of the language, because if you're going to go by the New Testament, then each one of those elders must be god called, God-enabled, God-gifted pastors. That word elder, it's not some ruling board. It is a pastor. And so they must, each of them, meet the list of qualifications. I don't think church is supposed to be led by insurance salesmen, car dealers, school teachers who have committed to the life of Christ, to the church life. Now, that's a good thing. We're glad of that. But in the language of the New Testament, it is a called, gifted pastor who has that leadership position. I believe it is singular, and I'll just tell you this. Watch when that happens. Be aware when that is being introduced. All right, that's a whole lot of information tonight. I'm going to end by saying this. Praise God for his blessing us with the local church. You know what? We need a local church. And we need people to help carry the load with us. We need people to help push us back. We need sometimes people to pull us along. It is a blessing to have a local church. Bless, thank God, praise God for blessing us with his wisdom in operating in the local church. Praise the Lord, he tells us how to do it. He doesn't give it to us to figure out. And then let me just say this. Praise God for his blessing the church with faithful pastors. Praise the Lord for that. All glory be to Christ. I'm going to ask if you'll stand, please. Let's pray. Dear Father, we come. We're thankful for your truth. We're thankful for your leadership. We're thankful for your guidance. I pray for Calvary Baptist Church. I thank you for Calvary Baptist Church. I pray, Lord, that we would be discerning for how you lead the great shepherd, Jesus. I pray, Lord, that we'll be discerning uh, what, when, where, how the head of our church, Jesus, leads. I'm thankful, Lord, for a, for a fellowship that can hold your word, your New Testament, and can walk accordingly. Multiply the effort. Multiply the result. Be known and glorified through it. Lord, I'm thankful again that we have a Savior, Jesus. Thankful that we have the forgiveness of our sin. Uh, we just come tonight and tell you, we praise you, we worship you, and we thank you, and I pray in Jesus' name, amen.